Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Well, hey, you guys, come on, stand with me this morning as we get ready to read God's Word. We're at John chapter 4. If you want to flip there with me, I'll give you a few seconds. I like when we read together. John chapter 4, you guys, we're going to start in verse 7 and go all the way through verse 26. Let's read. When a Samaritan woman came to drink water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with from the well. It's too deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Last few right here, guys. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he does, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray, guys. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. God, I just thank you for just dwelling here with us this morning. I pray this message honors you, that the eyes and ears will just be able to see your glory. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hey, y'all, have a seat. <laughs> if I haven't met you, my name is Jess. I'm so excited to give you all the word this morning. I was up before my husband, so you know I'm excited. I'm definitely the last one to rise, and he was like, where are you going? I was like, to church. I'm ready before you are. He was like, calm down. Um, and so um, I'm pumped. I get to serve here on staff. I've been on staff now for almost two years, and it's been a huge blessing. Marius and I have been serving the downtown community eight 
plus years now, and we wouldn't want it any other way with the Dream Center or here at the church. And so, and then this morning, I have my in-laws in town all the way from Germany, so give it up for them. They definitely came the longest way here. Um, And I know some of you are going to stop listening because you're like, okay, he's really from Germany. Yes, Marius is really from Germany. And you're probably like, okay, I'm not going to listen until you tell me how the heck y'all met. And so, yeah, I'm an Arkansas girl. I'm born and raised here. And um, me and Marius actually lived in New York City for a while. And then I convinced him to move on down to the beautiful South. And we got married and have been here serving ever since. And so... No, I don't think there's a plan to move to Germany. That's always the second question. Uh, I love the culture. We love visiting. It is grandparents' weekend, and so that means a lot of toys and a lot of food and a lot of games because, hello, they love games. Uh, So uh, this morning, we are looking at such an interesting story in Scripture. This is actually the longest account between Jesus and another person in the New Testament, and so... Yeah, it reminds me of a story because Jesus sits down with this lady you saw. He immediately gets right up in her business. And that reminds me of when I was in high school. Hello, Abercrombie and Fitch. It is like literally has that comeback era. I'm like, please, Lord, just don't let all the styles. Because, you know, some of you guys wear that double flip collar. Y'all had that thing going. Yeah, you're giggling. Don't bring that back. But we girls had the infamous blue jean skirt era with the Ugg boots. Hello, please. Don't bring that back. No one needs a freezing winter and the boots that, like, you wish may wear pants. Um, it is horrible. Um, but when I was in high school, I got one of my besties here from high school. We wore that infamous blue jean skirt, and every time you put it in the washer, yes, it got shorter and shorter. And so I was feeling myself, and I had it on with my uh, hot pink one-shoulder Charlotte Ruse. Hello, remember Charlotte Ruse? Yeah, nostalgia. Let it come back. It was hot pink and glittery. I was feeling myself. And I'm walking out of the house. I'm going to probably Jade's house. And my stepdad stopped me and said, excuse me, where the heck do you think you're going in that outfit? And I was like, who, me in this? (laughs) I'm going to my friend's house. And he's like, not in that outfit. You're not. And so, you know, sneaky Jess thought, okay, well, let me just take it off, roll it up in a shirt, stick it in the duffel bag. Like, we are idiots, man. At 16 years old, like, my dad's all of a sudden not going to notice I have a duffel bag. And he stops me, and he's like, where are you headed? And I'm like, to my friend's house. Why are you all in my business? You know? And he's like, take out that outfit. And I'm like, oh, man. Dump it out. And, you know, I love it. I'm thankful. I probably had no business wearing that outfit. Uh, (laughs) So shout out to my parents for getting in my business. But listen, that's what I love about this story is that Jesus literally sits down with this lady and he jumps up all in it, right? I don't know about you, but if a complete stranger started talking to me about my past and then started like bringing up detail and form like in a conversation, I'm going to be super uncomfortable. I'm probably going to have my defenses up. And so let's jump in. Okay, so my title this morning is, What Are You Facing? You know, and then the Bronson thesis, here it goes. Uh, We all have a personal and generational challenge, and Jesus offers us a gracious response. So some of you guys may have heard that, you know, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they have this huge beef, but like, why is that? So I'm going to try to give you some history here this morning. So when the Assyrians conquered uh, most of the Middle and Eastern world, they used tactics designed to keep their captives from actually unifying and rebellion. 
And so they would, lose, uh, they would move large populations around to different regions and let them settle there. Well, this group of people were, started settling in this area called Samaria. And they didn't want to just conquer them militarily, but they also wanted to do it religiously and culturally. They really wanted to dilute the covenant um, people of God. And so some of the Jews that were left in this area gave in, and they actually intermarried. And so they broke the Jewish law, and so they allowed other people to have gods and idols and start worshiping. And they became the hated people by the Jews because they were unclean. So this is who the Samaritan people were. The feud grew, you know, because time goes on, and then, you know, it's like the game of telephone. Just everybody, they just started hating them more and more. Um, they would go out of their way. They wouldn't even actually cross paths because they didn't want to, you know, come in contact with these unclean people. So that gets me to my first point, facing generational rejection. So picking up in John chapter 4, verse 7 and 9, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Can you imagine? This woman is shocked. This is her everyday to-do list. She walks to that well. And she's walking to that well, and she sees a man standing there, a Jewish man. And she's I'm looking at this and going, oh my gosh, could you imagine? She's waiting for him to just jump in at her. Um, Jews in that time would have never dared to come and drink water. Interacting with her would actually made it ceremonial and clean. So imagine it this way. This would be like talking to someone out in the streets and then not being clean enough to actually come in here and have church. So this is what the Jewish man was um, maybe contemplating. So not only is he at the well, he engages in conversation with her. This is a huge deal. Not only is she an outcast socially, but she is a woman. At this moment, it would be easy to conjecture that she felt very uncomfortable, uh, potentially super insecure, because what is he going to say to her? And I wonder, have you ever felt rejection or tension over something you had no control over? This woman is walking up. And I'm sure her defenses are like flared. <laughs> Many of us have probably felt this rejection over something we had no control over. What country you were born into, what race you are, whether you were born poor or wealthy. Maybe you are born in a single parent household or you have that amazing family unit. These things are completely out of your control and can leave us with baggage from generations before us. See, generational pattern or curses, however you want to label it, our habits, by definition, are habits and behaviors that have been passed down from generation to the next. So growing up, my mom would always say, hey, Jess, you're acting just like your dad right now. Like, go get it together. And my native name was Blundell, and my dad would always say, well, that's just what Blundells do. Have any of y'all ever said that? You know, that's just what the Dukes do. That's just what the Polstons do. I'm sure you've maybe said that in your house from time to time. Uh, these generational patterns happen whether we acknowledge it or not. And sometimes these things aren't bad. Some of these things, like your parents worked hard and they taught you how to be a hard worker, and you are. You're a hard worker. You show up on time. Some of your parents were amazing, godly people, and you grew up learning the word of God and you were rooted. You know the word. That's here is what we all know. Riley knows this already about me. Me and Marius, we have weaknesses. All of our parents have weaknesses. It could include you know, anger, 
spending too much, maybe there's greed, um, or just plain out selfishness. So whether we like it or not, we have all probably picked up a few of these along the way. This is the case for the Samaritan woman. She has grown up being taught generational habits that didn't honor the Jewish law. People hated her because of that. So she's feeling this social tension, racial tension, and the reality is she's walking up to this Jesus. She doesn't know that's him, and she's super defensive. But here's what she's probably not expecting. She's not expecting to be met with a gracious offer. Here's what Jesus offers her in verse 13. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up for eternal, eternal life. And she replies this, in John, picking up in John 4, 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to get thirsty and keep on coming up here to draw water. I love this woman. She has a plan. She's like, go ahead and give me that water so I can just knock this off my to-do list every single day. I'll, you know, when you write it out and then you're like, hey, I already did it. It's just that instant, like, satisfaction. So he says, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And so picking up in verse 16, go and call your husband and come back. And she replies, I have no husband. So point number one, she is facing generational rejection. And point number two, she is facing daily rejection. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this scripture, I immediately think of an episode of Maury. Maury, y'all know Maury? Like, she's got five husbands, homeboy on the side. It's literally like a best case scenario. Like DNA tests are in. He is not the father. She is a woman in scandal. When Jesus asked her to go and get her husband, she has to be filling. Can you imagine? Here we go. Oh, here's that judgment I was waiting on. I knew it was coming. You were coming at me. But whatever she was probably expecting, she probably didn't think it was going to be this bad. He puts her business like right on front street and makes her look it in the face. He says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. Mm, how you sit with that, right? It can seem harsh, but something we may know, if you have encountered Jesus, that she doesn't know just yet, is actually the character of God, Jesus, is super kind. He's actually not trying to catch her in a lie here in this moment. He's trying to reveal to her that he knows everything about her and still is choosing to sit with her. Oftentimes, when we read the scripture, we immediately look at this woman and she's an adulterous woman. I've read it that way for years. What I find surprising after digging just a little bit deeper is actually Jesus never calls her a sinner or actually says she's living in sin which I find it kind of humorous because just in a few chapters ahead in chapter uh, 8 of John, Jesus tells the adulterous woman to go and sin no more. So he's not shy to call someone a sinner and actually label them for what they are. He actually never says, her, says that to her. So this got my attention. I'm like, well, why do I always think she's a sinner then? Why do I think she's this episode of Maury? 
So this got my attention. <laughs> I'm like, let's look at culture of that day to maybe get a bigger complexity of maybe what's going on and taking place here. So I'm going to give you a little bit of my his- history lesson here of the culture of the time. So women typically married at the age of 15, um, with their husbands sometimes being 10, 15 years older than that. Women in this time um, and, and today still, if they're part of the Jewish law, are not able to pursue divorce. Um, the only two real ways for this woman to have multiple husbands is if one was to pass away, so death or divorce that the husband would have actually pursued. So some scholars say that, that her first husband had died and that she would have been passed to her husband's brother, which would have been the tradition of the time. So one view is that she had lost not just one husband and then passed to the brother that he passed, and then he was passed to the next brother, and the next, and the next. That making her a five-time widow. And then you're thinking, okay, well, she's living with a man in that time. Well, women were just mere um, property. They weren't able and allowed to work. So that, so some scholars say, okay, this woman is actually just living with this man. It's not maybe an intimate relationship, just for a means of survival. So shelter, food, water, clothing. But the other theory is that she may have been married and potentially widowed, but also that this woman may have been barren, meaning she couldn't have kids, which would have been another approved way for a man to divorce his wife in that time. If this is true, I couldn't imagine the pain. Marius and I struggled with infertility for several years with both of our children. I know some of you are in this room and you're struggling with that. Or maybe you're holding your miracle baby. In that season, I struggled with real depression, real anxiety, unrealized longing for just wanting to have control, to wanting to just be able to have a child. Could you imagine the rejection you would feel if this happened to you over and over and over and over and over again? I couldn't imagine walking through this season and how I felt and how depressed I was and Mari's just saying, you know what? I'm out. Can't do this with you. Me getting remarried and him going, you know what? I'm out. Good luck with that. Now, this is me conjecturing just a little bit, but this woman would go to the well in the middle of the day. It says in scripture that she would go at the sixth hour, which means noon. Most women in this time would do this early in the day. They would go up to their well. It would be the cool of the day. Um, who doesn't want to, like, gather with another lady because, hello, like, doing your chores with a girl, like, girl time, right? But actually, history tells us that this is one of the only places that women in this time were able to hang out was around the well. They, did, they couldn't just get together in their town or their communities. Uh, that would be considered loitering. So this was an approved outing with your girls. So this would be the modern-day target run. Hello. Like, hey, bestie, leaving the kids at home with the husband. Let's get our coffee, and let's go to Target, because we're about to have some adult conversation, get lost on aisle five, and like, where are we here for? But this woman, she chooses actually not to engage in that. She's like, I don't want to go with the other ladies. Could it be that maybe she was so exhausted that she doesn't want to engage in the relationships? 
Or is that she's so depressed that life is turning out this way that she never expected? It's just too bear, like too much to bear. And she doesn't want to engage in conversation. Perhaps she's walking rejection of the people around her, but probably she's rejecting herself because she can't do the very thing a woman was created to do. She's probably in her inner thought saying, why is this happening to me? Why can't I amount to it? Why can't I just have what everyone else has? Question, do you find yourself avoiding your pain? Do you find yourself pulling back among people's celebrations? Because they have what you're getting, what you want. I know when I was going through our, our infertility, sometimes just showing up to a baby shower was just too much to bear. I had to go to back to that target. I had to walk around in that baby aisle. I had to look at all the little things that I wanted in my home. I had to pick out a gift. I had to like fake a smile on the thank you card. I had to go in there to sit and watch her be in a season that I wanted so desperately and couldn't do anything about it. That's a lot. Do you find yourself not engaging in community, maybe joining a life group, because you hate your past mistakes so much, like you would hate if it came up in a conversation? I know for many of us, we walk our own path each day that reminds us of our shortcomings and past mistakes in a life that just isn't going to plan. I'm so thankful for a kind and generous God. Jesus speaks to each of her rejections and provides hope, which leads me to my last point facing Jesus. John chapter 4, 15, or actually it's verse 25. That's on me. Uh, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Jesus is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. You better believe she had a lot of questions. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Why has it turned out this way? Why did you put me in these situations? I didn't want to go through that. Why did you make me face that? Why did I feel so alone in that season? Why was no one to my left and to my right really understanding what I was going through? This is this lady. She's like, when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus looked her in the face and declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What's wild is this is the first time in the text that Jesus actually tells someone he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's Christ. He's the God who came to save. He told a, and revealed this, his majesty, to a lowly woman at the well. He meets her there, and he declares he has come for her. This woman who was rejected and cast aside by so many men was being pursued and accepted by God. It's a beautiful story. Jesus wants that for you. This woman was likely barren and unfruitful in her life. And Jesus comes face to face with her. He declares who he is. And she turns around and runs home to tell her whole community that Jesus is here. This woman who avoided people. This woman who is probably depressed. This woman who is probably exhausted from life. This woman who had known failure after failure after failure. This woman who could not produce fruit in her womb. This barren woman, after she encounters Jesus, is now bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Amen, y'all. In verse 39, we didn't read this earlier. 
Um, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of this woman's testimony. Guys, some of us are so hung up on our failures, our past mistakes, what we come from, who we come from, our family traditions. I'm like number one to speak. I never wanted to share my story. I didn't want to go there with God. I was like, just leave me alone. Let me attend church. I've made you Lord of Lords, right? And he's like, no, you know me as your savior, but your Lord of Lords makes you bow your knee and actually proclaim who I am to the ends of the earth. We can't get caught up on this because God will satisfy our deepest desires and our thirst. He'll redeem us from our deepest failures. He'll put you out of darkness in your depression and put your feet on solid ground. He will give you meaning and purpose to your life. Just let him talk to you face to face today. But there's a whole group of people that God wants to use your story to minister to others, to show them God's glory and to share freedom from their bondage. My challenge to you today, if you're holding back from accepting God, God's grace over your life, that you would surrender to him. And if you're holding back from sharing and telling your stories of how God has radically changed you, I wanna pray a boldness over you, that God would use your story to show his glory so that all can come to know him. That's what it's all about. Listen, I know a lot of us in this room, we're wrestling maybe with infertility and barrenness, maybe truly physically we can't have a child. You're longing for that. But there might be a lot of you who are just desperately waiting to birth a breakthrough. You're physically waiting to have that positive test that you're asking the Lord, why did you put that desire on my heart years ago? And I've never seen it come to fruition. Just as the woman in this story ran back to proclaim Jesus to her community. Hear my words. Jesus is here for you today. Meet with him face to face. We do this every week. We always give you four ways to respond. And I want to take more time here today than we normally do. Because we can just go through this really fast. But it's here where I found that when I do sit alone with the, with the Lord and I allow him to minister to me, whatever that is, face to face, you all have your own stories, you all have your own baggage, your own breakthrough that you're longing for, that if we just rest in his presence and allow him to respond, um, to speak to us and go out a different person. Every Sunday I come in here, I want to be a different person. I don't want to just pick up and do the same thing and do the same Sunday every week. So like loosen up yourself a little bit and say, I'm going to come in and I'm going to experience the presence of God because he dwells here today and he can do something different in me. It doesn't have to be the same week on repeat. And so just trust him. Lean into that. Like Blake said, his presence is here, guys. He wants to do something miraculous in you. If only you would just lean into him today. So I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're going to go into a moment of response. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, 
We thank you that your presence is here. We thank you that you're for us and not against us. Oftentimes we find ourselves as this Samaritan woman with our defenses up, thinking you're about to just come after us and put all of our shame and guilt all over the place. But you're sitting with us today saying, no, I'm just coming to reveal myself. Because when you know who I am, I can do major breakthrough in your life. And so, God, I pray a boldness over these people. I pray a transparency that they would want to move on your behalf, that they would want to respond to who you have called them to be. God, I pray that people in this room know how much you've radically changed them. And I pray a boldness over them that when they go into their workplace, when they walk into their home, when they have friends over, when their family comes and sits at their dinner table, Lord, that they'd be able to proclaim who you are. Not in a judgment way, but in a freeing, bondage, um, transparent, captivating way, Lord. And I just thank you, Jesus, that you dwelled here today with us. We thank you that you consider us worthy to have your presence among us. Holy Spirit, just continue to move on our hearts as we press in. We want to see you face to face. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review, things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.